Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Um, we're here in early November. If you're an archery bow hunter, it's all about whitetails, whitetails, whitetails uh, across the uh, northern United States from the East Coast to the Midwest um, and into the lower Midwest. Right now, it's the, the prime time for hunting the rut. Hopefully, the deer activity is picking up in your area. And, you know, when you think of, of whitetail deer hunting, um, the Midwest is probably the premier region in the country for big whitetails. Iowa, obviously, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. But there's a state that really produces some incredible whitetails, and you just don't hear as much about it, and that's Indiana. And today I'm excited to talk more about the state, its deer hunting, and some of the incredible trophies that it's producing. Uh, we have Tony Wright from the Hoosier Record Buck Program. Tony, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been intrigued about uh, deer hunting in Indiana for a while. And then last year, um, Dustin Huff took that incredible, typical, the number two all-time buck. It scored 211 and four-eighths, and uh, it, it brought the state uh, to the forefront again. But uh, year in and year out, uh, your state produces a lot of trophy whitetails, uh, a number of those taken by archery hunters. Uh, for example, I had a chance to have a gentleman named David Jones on our podcast over the past year. He took a giant 13-pointer. It was a non-typical that scored uh, one, just over 182. And, you know, so it got me to thinking, you know, you hear a lot about deer hunting in the Midwest and a lot of the states that we just mentioned have a lot of guides and outfitters. You don't find that so much as far as Indiana. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But but let's start with uh, you're the program coordinator for the Hoosier Record Book Program. How did that get started? What's your mission? What's your philosophy as far as the program? OK, uh, the Hoosier uh Record Buck Program was started back in 1975 in the fall. It was started by our Department of Natural Resources. Uh, originally, what they had, was, as far as scorers go, were some of their uh, area wildlife biologists. And of course, at that time in the mid 70s, uh, like a lot of Midwestern states, the, the deer herd was a lot smaller than it was. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure that they had no idea at that time that the, uh, the population of the white-tailed deer would explode the way it did. And pretty much that outgrew the DNR uh, as far as staff goes. They couldn't you know, keep up with doing that type of records all the time. So they turned it over uh, somewhere, uh, would have been was, was somewhere around in the 1990s, they turned it over to the uh, Indiana Deer Association. And the Indiana Deer Association then took over the Hoosier Record Buck Program and has been running with it ever since. And uh, since then, we've got uh, many scores around the state that they score, uh, and uh, we produce a book. Originally, uh, in fact, this is a my earliest book that I have. It's 1982, uh, Hoosier Record Buck Program by the DNR. I've got uh, five or six of these, uh, which, uh, from what I've been told, are collector's items. I know a couple guys from the Blue Rock Club want to buy these from me, and I won't sell them because <laughs> I don't know where any more are. I really don't. Outside of the ones that I've got, most of the other guys that I know has been doing this a long time don't have these. And uh, then we started making where the, the book got a little bigger as you got more records and it became more of a, a book type book instead of a, a pamphlet. And uh -huh. as, the, as we started to grow, 
when the uh, Indiana Deer Hunters Association started printing. At first, it was printed every two years, and it switched to every three years. And we've been on the three-year program for quite a number of years. We categorize bucks just like normal, typical and non-typical. Uh, something else that we do a little different than in some places is we also, of course, everything in the book is listed by county. So we, after a while, each once we got into the numbers of the, the, the Indiana Deer Hunter Association, we started ranking them by county. So you can actually see where your buck ranks in your county as well as we produce in the front pages of this book, the top 50 typicals, top 50 non-typicals. And then later on, as we started getting more numbers, we started breaking it down by categories. First categories that we had when the DNR first had it was shotgun slugs. That's what was legal in Indiana, a muzzle-loading rifle, and a bow and arrow. As time was well, we've added more uh, different uh, type of uh, methods to take deer. Handgun was added in 1986. And we actually have a top 50 uh, typical handgun list. Uh, we don't have a top 50 non-typical handgun list. There hasn't been 50 non-typicals taken with a handgun. It's not a real popular area, but the guys who, who love, love to, to shoot a handgun really enjoy the fact that they can shoot a handgun out of near in Indiana. Next thing we added uh, was the uh, pistol cartridge rifles. Uh, PCR, as we call them, that's the 44 mags, the 357s. Uh, some lever action guns, and so a lot of those guns were actually also uh, single single shots. Those were added in 2010, uh, which gave us a little bit more range, perhaps, than the standard shotgun slug. Um, and as time went on after that, uh, in just recent history, and I don't remember for the last four or five years now, we've actually switched over where actually we can take a, gun, a deer with a high-powered rifle now in Indiana, which has been a newer category. And I can't separate the pistol cartridge rifles out from the standard rifles we're doing today in our list because we've lumped them all together. Um, I do know that, like I say, the crossbow was added in 2012 as far as the season in Indiana. Uh -huh. Previously to that, crossbow was only handicapped. And uh, we do have a, a category where we, we track the crossbows, and both typical and non-typical. Uh, and... Uh, I say 2012 was when that started. The first time they started it, you could use a crossbow during the regular gun season and the muzzleloader season after that. Uh, and then a few years later on, we added where the crossbow was now through all archery seasons, which basically means you can use a crossbow just like a, a regular vertical bow from the time deer hunting opens in Indiana till that first weekend in January when it closes throughout the entire year. So they're, they're both now treated equally. So, so, so give us a little bit of an idea. So obviously we talked about, you know, obviously the evolution of deer hunting and, and, and the, the record buck program, but, uh, you know, here at Peterson's bow hunting, we, we obviously cover both horizontal and vertical bows. Um, how many entries do you get a year or every three years? As you mentioned, the book comes out every three years for this program. I'm intrigued. And then what percentage of that is, is archery taken deer? Okay. I, I can't specifically, uh, do the entire history, but I can re reflect back on the last couple of three years as far as where we're at in uh -huh. the program. I do know that total entries in Hoosier Record Book Program were over 12,500 now. Wow. Uh, from, from that's from the, in the inception in 1975. The oldest entry in the book was a 1958 year uh -huh. uh, that was entered, of course, obviously some years after it was taken since the program didn't start to 75. Indiana's first year season 
modern deer season was in 1951. Uh, so in 58 is the first entry that we actually added with it. Um, and, but I can, I can look at, when I look at total archery, and then when I say archery now, I'm talking crossbow and, and vertical bow together. Uh, in recent history, we're still running about 33%, around one third of our total uh, take in Indiana is, is done with a crossbow or, or a vertical bow. And um, uh, one thing I was kind of looking at here recently, you know, since we started in 2012, we don't have the long history of a crossbow like some other states do. We, you know, we've only got mm -hmm. 10 years. Uh, so I was wondering too, how much of the of the, the archery world has switched to the crossbow? And I can't reflect on total archery kills in Indiana. DNR might be able to tell you, but as the record book, all I can see is the deer that are above 140 inches, typical. And what I've seen in the last year, I took the last year's statistics and went all together, that actually we're still running 60% vertical bows and about 40% taken with crossbow. And I, I have no definite proof of this, but I'm sure that number continues to, to switch more to the crossbow every year as this crossbow technology uh, gets more and more refined. And uh, plain and simple, too, another reason, these things aren't cheap, too. A lot of guys that's got a good bow and they want to switch to a crossbow, okay, they got to make up their mind where they want to spend their money. And, and so some of these guys are, are slowly doing their crossbow. Another factor that may come along is just simply what's happened nationwide. Uh, our, our audience of, of hunters out here is maturing age-wise. As it matures, I know a few of the archers that can no longer do what they did with the vertical bows and are switching to crossbows. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we may see the same guy that for the last 25 years has been a vertical bow hunter switch to a crossbow so he can hunt for another 10 or 15 years uh, because he's, he's able to do that. You know, and, and that's actually how I started hunting with a crossbow. I, I long hunted with a compound. And as I got older, uh, I'm in my early 50s. I started to develop uh, shoulder problems. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, now today's compounds, obviously, with the let off and everything, it's easier to, to pull them back. But I mean, a lot of guys, will, as you mentioned, as as they age in the sport, they'll switch to crossbow hunting to give them uh, opportunity to continue to stay out in the field. Now, I, I since have been able to go back to, to shooting with a, uh, a compound, but I switch back and forth between both and so you know it's interesting and as you mentioned you know you know neighboring ohio has the long history of crossbow hunting but uh in indiana you you basically have a one decade history pennsylvania we have a little longer so you're right you may see that continue to migrate or uh you might consider this, this the change will keep going as for more and more people hunting with a crossbow and i think we will as time moves on um i also look at the the, the top uh, as far as the top 50 uh, typicals and non-typicals taken with archery, right. the top 50 typicals and non-typicals taken with crossbow, uh, it seems to me like the, the bigger deer are being slightly slighted toward the crossbow a little bit more. And, of course, the huff buck that you already brought up, uh, as far as the number two typical of all time, number one in, in North America, in not North America, number one in the United States, but uh, that was a crossbow uh, Kill taken in Decatur County here in Indiana last fall. So, you know, there's another one uh, that someday's going to sit right up at the top <laughs> with, with, with that number there. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and I think you, I think you said it was uh, to make the books, it's 140 for a typical. Did I hear you? 140 correctly? for a typical, 160 for a non typical to make the Indiana book. 
so your standards are are are, are pretty high, and, and you're seeing a lot of a deer um, go into the record books, which is astounding. But you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why do you think Indiana is producing so many quality books year in and year out? Um, I, I know for starters, because you're talking to somebody who's been deer hunting in Indiana for 42 years, and I kept hearing the story for so long that the, uh, our seasons in Indiana are too long. Uh, they're too early. We need to get away from the rut with our gun season. And we're not in the rut. We're right at the end of the rut and, and, and with a gun season. But we do have a two-week or actually a 16-day gun season followed by a five days off and a 16-day muzzleloader season. And everybody says, well, that's the reason Indiana does not have bigger deer compared to the Ohio's and the Illinois back, and I'm talking 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Indiana did make a change a few years back to a one-buck rule. And uh, as a score, uh, a lot of people came to me and said, well, how do you think that's going to make a big deal? It's going to be great. And, uh, and I looked at most of those people and says, well, really, most deer hunters in Indiana at that time were gun hunters. They've always had a one buck rule. The only way you get a second buck is take an archery tag. And that's the reason a lot of guys have switched over to archery also. And uh, that a lot of didn't have really thought about that. So when one buck rule came in, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm a statistics guy. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, I just always have been. So when that season was over, I'm digging in all the, the DNR records and that type of thing. And that next year, the, uh, the bow hunters shot 6,000 less bucks than they did the year before. Because a lot of times a bow hunter would take the first buck he could get with a bow. And then with a gun, he'd hold out for a good one. And, but they took 6,000 less bucks because they only get one buck. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, that's great. That's fantastic. Look what it's done. So then I switched over to the numbers from the, the gun hunters. You know, the gun hunters killed 5,800 more bucks that year. So what did we really save? Just 200. That's pretty interesting. And it just blew my mind. I said, well, it didn't do any good at all. But it's kind of funny. After that, people who you know bring me heads to score, and I've been scoring for quite a number of years. I score several a year. As they came in, more guys were telling me that were gun hunters. I never saw so many bucks before because the archery hunters didn't take them. Well, you put 6,000 bucks still on the hoof over the whole state of Indiana. It did make a difference. And that guy there suddenly realized, I don't have to shoot the first buck that comes by. And that whole mindset started changing mm-hmm. right there. It, hasn't, it wasn't the fact that we went to a one-buck rule. It's the fact that the guy thought about it. And realize we don't have to shoot the first buck that walks by. And that all of a sudden, as time goes on, I mean, it, it's just compounded since then. Our bucks have continually gotten bigger. Uh, to me, consistently bigger bucks. Consistent, our Boone and Crockett numbers, uh, which you talked about minimums, Boone and Crockett, we're talking 170, typical 195, non-typical. Used to, Indiana had two or three a year. It's nothing for Indiana to have 20, 25 a year now. Uh, because of this change, and it's 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 really in the mindset of the hunter, and that we don't we don't kill it. We're letting them get bigger, and that's impressive. Obviously, letting the younger bucks walk—that's a big thing. You obviously have the nutrition with agriculture and and things like that in your state, and 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 you know, yeah. you, so you've really touched on some some really good points there. Uh, now, are you? I, I should ask you. Are you are you seeing these? Theory? I think at one time, like Steuben was one of the top counties to produce big bucks, and uh, Park County. I, I might be wrong there, but are you seeing these deer come from 
certain areas? Are you actually getting big bucks from throughout the state? That's an interesting question. The, the, the last few days I've been diving through some records uh, since you and I talked the first time, wanting to look at that a little bit. Uh, you hadn't mentioned that trend, but I thought, let's look at this trend. And yes, at one time, Steuben, and, which is our northeast corner of the state, and Switzerland, our southeast corner of the state, were some of our biggest deer producers by far. Uh-huh. Clark County, western part of the state, was another good one that always seemed to have some good deer in it. Uh, and, and so I started looking down through the list of, of the top 50 typicals and the top 50 non-typicals taken in Indiana. And uh, if you look at some of the older ones, you get some of those counties where there were more deer. If you look at the newer ones, say, let's say since um, 2005, 2008, mm-hmm. somewhere in there with them, it's not those counties. It's everywhere. There are, there's no counties that are dominating at all. They're just coming from everywhere throughout the state. I can go through the, the top 50 typicals, and you get clear down to number 20, 21 before you get the first county that repeats itself. Wow. So the, the top 20 are taken from 20 different counties. Wow. Uh, which is kind of funny when you look at the state of Indiana topography-wise. We're totally different up south, up north and down south than we are through the middle corn belt. But it doesn't seem to make any difference for the deer. They get big everywhere. No, no, and that, and that's a good point because obviously you have the the wooded areas in, in in the southern part, and you have agriculture and things like that. And so that's really interesting that you mentioned that they seem to be coming from all over now. Now, now, do you ever see like? And I don't know if you you asked this as part of the information you need to collect from the hunters, but um, obviously a lot of these deer are coming from private lands with people having leases and managing for big bucks and things like that. You still see some decent deer coming off the public lands in the state. Um, there's always been some. Um, but it, it's never been super strong. Uh, we do have a lot of public land. Uh, the, the part that I can't really uh, calculate myself, being that I'm from East Central Indiana, is the Hoosier National Forest, which is vast numbers of public ground, is down yeah. in southern and southwestern Indiana more. And I just don't score enough here from that area to know how many actually come on public ground down that way. Uh, so in, in my dwellings from East Central Indiana, and of course, always uh, the Hoosier record, uh, Hoosier Classic, the uh, deer, uh, deer Turkey Expo that we have every February. That we, we score a lot of deer throughout the whole central part of the state of Indiana. We still don't get all the Hoosier National Forest bucks up there to get scored in that, in that area. Uh, so I'm guessing that there's some good bucks continually taken in, in that area. Uh, but I, I would say that it wouldn't surprise me if we're not predominantly 80, 85% of the bigger deer are taken private grant. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, and that makes sense. Now, now, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you and hopefully I'm not throwing your curveball here, but you know, we're talking about good quality bucks coming from throughout the state. And when you look at Indiana compared to say, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, maybe even Kentucky, you don't have as many guides and outfitters who are, um, specializing in whitetail and whitetail archery hunts. So you do have some outfitters in, in Indiana, but not as many as these surrounding states. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I can't give you a definite reason, but I can give you an opinion. <laughs> and of course, you know what opinions are worth. Uh, but still, I think it has to go back with uh, the old thing that I used to hear that Indiana can't be any good of a big buck producing state because our gun season is too long and at the wrong time of the year. Uh, and I still think that stigma uh, nationwide throughout the whole, or even throughout the whole Midwest, 
is still one of those those stigmas that that was what we were stuck with years ago, and people just aren't paying attention. Another thing too is our non-resident deer deer tags are some of the cheapest in the whole Midwest. Anybody could come deer hunt. Well, it can't be any good. Look how cheap their tags are. And once again, you start looking at the the numbers that we get and and the, the quality that we're getting, and I think people simply are overlooking us. And that's most of the Indiana guys will say, let's just find us. Let's just leave it that way. <laughs> and, and that's pretty interesting because I remember when Illinois jacked the price of its deer tags up years and years ago. And then, you know, obviously, interestingly, if you want to hunt in Iowa, you could probably get a, a, a firearm permit, a regular license. But if you want to bow hunt in Iowa, it takes you, you know, three, four years to draw a tag, which is interesting. So, so that's a great point that you mentioned. Now, now I don't, I don't know, you know, if you, if you can share some thoughts on this, but uh, what would be your recommendations if somebody's listening to podcasts and like, man, I'd really like to hunt Indiana. Do you have any thoughts? Like if somebody wants to do a, D, uh, a DIY, a do it yourself adventure, you know, you know, obviously there's a lot of great resources like Onyx and you have the public forest, but what are your thoughts as far as if somebody wants to come bow hunting in your state? If, if somebody wants to come bow hunting, uh, for starters, there are some outfitters to, to, to talk to, but but I still think that a person uh, needs to look at uh, the Department of Natural Resources properties. We have uh, different fish and wildlife areas throughout the state, uh, um, and we have we have some newer ones that, that are, are some pretty good deer hunting resources. And once again, just like a lot of places, you never know what's going to walk by in one of those places. Uh, the, the right hot doe at the right time can can lead a monster off of any private ground on any public hunting area in a heartbeat, and it happens all the time. Um, but I would encourage them to look at that. I would encourage people to look at our reservoir properties. Um, the uh, Tim Beck 300-inch uh, non-typical that was taken in Huntington County, uh, that buck was not very far off of the Huntington Reservoir property. In fact, there were some pheasant hunters that think they'd seen it on the, uh, the property the day before. Um, and you know, we've got some big bucks that come around the Brookville uh, property area, you know, Monroe, uh, it has a, has a big reservoir area around that. Potoka does too. So some of these reservoir properties uh, that are public ground, uh, uh-huh. and I, I think they're, they're, they're something times that they're hunted hard, but I still think they're overlooked for some of their potential, as well as the vast areas of the huge national forest. Yeah, that, I'm Go going to embarrass myself here, and I don't hear well. I mean, people listen to the podcast know that I have a, a bit of a hearing disability. Did you say a 300-inch buck? Yes, we, we, uh, Tim Beck, uh, back in 2012, shot a 305 and 7 eighths non typical in Huntington County, Indiana, with a shotgun. At the time it was scored, it was the number two hunter kill buck in, in the world. Uh, it, it is still, of course, how many 300 inch deer are out there? There's been a few in the last few years, but there's still, we're talking just a handful of deer. Uh, and the 300 inch, that was probably the Indiana's first. Big one in the last few years. That 2012 has now been 10 years. Um, the, that actually popped on North American whitetail, and a lot of people started paying a little attention to Indiana because of that Beck, Tim Beck buck. And then we turned around and, and then Dustin Huff did it in southern Indiana in Decatur County with, with a typical down there. Yeah. Uh, I also might add that um, two years ago, we added a, uh, what was it? I got the numbers right here. A 259-2-8 archery kill buck in, in Decatur, I mean, in, in Delaware County, Indiana, which uh-huh. that's right here in the middle of the Corn Belt. Uh, in, in 
yeah, there's some woods and drainages and that type of thing in that area. But but still, it's not it's not your northern Indiana, southern Indiana. And uh, that buck, like I say, scored two fifty nine and two eights as an archery kill. It's our number one archery kill deer. Um, wow! I scored that deer myself, so yeah, you know, I had hands on it. That deer broke off three points. <laughs> I'd like to see what he what he would have scored. I, I'm going to guess based on a trail cam picture looking at him. He probably broke off anywhere from seven to ten inches. Huh. So he would have been flirting with two seventy, and that was two years ago. Well, thank you for for touching that. And obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about archery hunting and and hunting with compounds and crossbows. But when you mentioned that buck, I had to have you you touch on that. And you know, it, it begs to to ask this question. What, what's your sneaking suspicion? Are there are there a lot of big bucks being taken maybe that aren't being scored in the books? Do you, you think there's other bucks that are being taken and people just aren't sharing it because they sort of want to um, keep Indiana's big bucks under wraps? Uh, I do think that there's there's a possibility of that happening. Uh, and I don't think it occurs just in Indiana. I think that occurs elsewhere, too. Um, a couple of things I can throw out here. Everybody thinks the Huff Buck was such a an abnormal buck by being so large. Uh, and, you know, he's right now 211 and change is what he's, his entry yep. score is with, with Blue Crockett. Uh, but there was a buck shot a couple, three or four years ago uh, that uh, in Fayette County, that, that was uh, shot by a, a lady called the, we call it the Moffat buck, because Andre Moffat took it. And uh-huh. uh, that buck was shot a year too late. They've got the sheds from that buck. And the sheds from that buck have had a special story in North American whitetail uh, just on that buck alone on the sheds, and they call it the Indiana legend. Uh, now, the guy who's got the sheds and that type of thing, he's put it together and put them out on Personally, I think it's a little wide. You know, that inside spread on a shed is totally up to your discretion, I guess you'd say. I think he's a little wide. Uh, but uh, I scored the sheds of that when I first saw the sheds. And when I scored the sheds, I came home and immediately got on the Internet and if I gave that that the shed the year before the exact same inside spread as the buck that was shot a year later, it would have tied with number three in the world right behind the Jordan buck. And I know that that buck wow. was bigger in every way the year before because the beams and everything else were bigger, so it was probably wider, which would have put that buck right in there behind the Jordan buck, I'm going to say in the 205-206 category. Now, he's got it uh, out here that, uh, with uh, the sheds and, and He's claiming it was probably uh, in the, the two teens, and it could have been, certainly could have been. Uh, but uh, that, that's an interesting buck that, that, once again, when it was shot the next year, instead of the 10-pointer the, the that it was the year before, it was a 9-pointer with a big flyer. Uh, the 9-point typical rack of that deer scored 200 inches Wow! as a 9-pointer. Of course, when you score it and you put an official score, you lose that 7.5-inch G4 that's on there because there's no match. And so what it, what it nets come out, it netted as an over 180-inch eight-pointer is what that same buck scored. And so, yes, there's, there's, there's other potential bigger typicals that's been taken in Indiana. There's another one I know of from, um, I'm going to say, the late 1990s to early 200. Uh, it was taken south of Indianapolis. I won't get more specific than that. Um, the fellow that took it was absolutely overwhelmed with the immediate attention. He sold the buck, changed his phone number, totally got out of sight. The, the buck has disappeared. 
Uh-huh. Um, I, I did see an original picture of it when it was checked in. Uh, I read across the guy a few years later, and we were talking about that buck. And he says, oh, I know where that buck's at. And I read that the owner of that has never measured it, never had it scored. It was green scored originally by a, a Budokaka score. Rumor has it, it was over 200 inch typical. Now, how many of those are there in the world? There's not very many. No. And, uh, and the fellow that knows where it's at, I said, Ben, I'd love to have pictures of that. And actually, in one of these books right here, I actually have two pictures of that deer on the wall currently right now in Indiana. I don't know the guy's name. I don't know where he lives. And I'm not asking. I just hope that someday, I just hope that someday he wants that deer scored. <laughs> and if he would bring that deer to me or to our Indianapolis show, one look at that deer, I would know that deer immediately. And, and we could see what is he actually a 200-inch typical deer. Uh, the, the mouse look phenomenal. <laughs> they really do. And so there's another one. How many of those are there out there? Over 200-inch typicals. There's probably not a lot of them in the closet. But I'm betting that there's several 210, 215-inch non-typicals out there that are in the closet that you don't see, especially uh, maybe in the southern part of the state of Indiana. I'm only guessing, which is all I can do, but uh, there, there's, there's some out there. And I think a little bit of it has to do with some people don't want the rest of the nation to know how good Indiana is. You know, and it's interesting, as because I was going to ask you next, would you say that the cat's out of the bag? Do you still consider a sleeper state? Now, you're probably really ingrained no, in the day-to-day. -day. I, I can't consider a sleeper state anymore. I know there was a, a couple different magazines in the last couple of years uh, list their top five uh, potential states for uh, for Boone and Crockett Bucks, and the Indiana's and all one of those. In fact, one of those publications, I can't remember which one it was, actually uh -huh. claims that, that Indiana is their number one state, go-to state, for a potential, another big Boone and Crockett type deer. And that report, I think, came out last year before Huff shot his buck. And then you wow. turn around and boom, there it is. Yeah, they were right. Yeah, and obviously it's sort of a double-edged sword. When people hear about the Huff buck, they probably think, okay, Indiana's going to be the next hotspot for big bucks. Now, you've been producing them all along, but you wonder if sure. that's going to drive up interest in people coming to hunt from out of state and things like that. I don't think a bucks like Huffs will will drive interest. You know, that was just last fall. I couldn't tell you to begin with how much more attention the uh, any outfitters we might have in the southern part of the state. I, I do know one in particular that's in that same region. Uh, I would be interested to talk to him and find out how much more his phone has rang compared to a year ago. It might be interesting to talk to him. And I will see him sometime or another. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, I think, you know, when you look at, at, at the growth of uh, big bucks in the state, and you've obviously covered all the different factors that have um, led to producing more big quality whitetails, more mature whitetails in your state. Uh, I wanted to ask you, remind me, how many years have you been scoring deer in the state of Indiana now? Myself, personally? Yeah. Uh, I've been scoring deer, um, I think it's 34 years. And, and so my question to you is, when you look and you crunch all these numbers like you do as, as the program coordinator and working on the book and things like that, is there anything that surprises you about the entries going into the book? Is there anything that stands out or makes you go, hmm? Um, a couple of things in particular. Uh, and it always amazes me how many, uh, like I say, we have the Deer Turkey Expo every year in February in Indianapolis. And, uh, and people bring their bucks into score. There's always, you know, 
social media throws out everything anymore. We have, yep. you know, Bucks of Indiana and some of the some of the records already, some of the deer already this fall have been very, very good. Uh, but you see all those and you hear all those. And then you'll have two or three deer that will show up at that show. Or I get a phone call and the deer shows up at my living room that was right up there with all those others. And you never heard a thing about it. Never made any social media. Nobody's Facebook has a picture of it on it. Uh, it still surprises me how many of those still get by. Uh, and I think a lot of times people are, are guilty of shooting a nice deer and not putting it on themselves. The next thing you know, one of their buddies has posted the picture, even if they didn't want it. Uh, and I find that happens a lot of times too. Well, the cat's out of the bag on that one. But, but it always surprises me how many there are. And the other thing I think that surprises me is how many different areas of the state produce these deer. Uh-huh. Uh, I still think, that, well, it, it came from here. No, it came from there. And I'm scratching my head, but that's not where I would have expected that deer to come from. Yeah. You know, plain and simple, uh, our corn belt area through the middle part of the state is good, rich soil. Anytime you get any drainage through that good, rich soil, I think good soil makes good antlers. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot of cover and a lot of woods and a lot of that type of thing for a big buck to make it as long as he's got some pockets to live in. And we start letting them get older like we have. Yep. And we certainly have made that trend change in the last 10 years. I see it continuing even more. Uh, you talked about leases a little bit. Yeah, leases were here for real good. Now what I'm seeing, uh, more and more people purchasing properties uh, and developing their own properties. And is the future of deer hunting private land um, versus public? I think it is to some degree. Uh, but I think you'll you'll see a, a lot of these individual purchasing uh, 40, 60, 80, 120, 150 acres down here that, that used to be semi-rolling farm ground or not as productive farm ground. It doesn't take very much uh, management work, and you can produce some pretty good deer on a, on a farm that just maybe only had one or two before, might have four or five or six in, in another three or four years. That's a big change I've seen in the last Oh, I'm just going to say four to five years. Yeah, no. And uh, and obviously, you know, as I was uh, a recent episode of the podcast, we had somebody on from Oklahoma and he talked similar sentiments. He's had a lease now uh, in land to purchase for about 25 years. And he mentioned when he started hunting the property, he said you would see just small racks and spikes and fours. And he yeah. ended up getting now it's taken him uh, almost a quarter century of hard work, sweat equity, habitat management working with other landowners so that deer walk, but he shot a 190, I think it was 196 last year in Oklahoma. Now they produce some nice deer, but 196 is a big deer even for a non-typical. That's a big deer from anywhere, yes. Now the last question I have for you before we wrap up is, what's the best, I don't care if this is a a bow or a gun story, what's the best or coolest big buck story you've ever heard in all your years of doing this? Oh boy. That's a that's a good one. Um, I've got a cool one from last year uh, yep. that, that kind of sticks in my mind a little bit. Um, Indiana has uh, some urban zones. We talk as Indiana is a one buck state, but in an urban zone, you can take another buck, and that's around some of our, our larger cities to help you know, reduce the deer population. To, to shoot a buck in an urban zone, you got to shoot a doe first, uh-huh. and that urban zone usually starts September fifteenth which is uh, 15 days sooner than the standard archery season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I ran across a, a gentleman last year um, 
who was hunting in an urban zone, uh, not too awful far from, from where I live, and shot a book, the, the buck that went over 140, uh, did make the Indiana record book, shot it with a, we shot it with a crossbow in the urban zone. Now, what's funny is this fellow has, has hunted that farm for a number of years. He didn't even realize that woods was in the urban zone until last until a couple of years ago because of where it's located. Uh-huh. And another funny thing about that feature is this, this farm is not a large farm, but it sits right on the county line. The West Woods is in one county. The East Woods is in another county. The West Woods is an urban zone. The East Woods is not an urban zone. There's a uh-huh. horse pasture field in between it. Yep. He shoots one in the urban zone last year. Uh, in, in, uh, I think it was actually October before he got his buck because he got his doe earlier to qualify for buck. And then when November gun season runs around, he's in the other woods, just because that's where he's normally hunted mostly, and shoots another over 140 inch Indiana record book buck in the other woods on the same farm in the same year in two different counties in two different zones. And this farm is very big. But he says, I didn't even realize I could do this till three years ago when he'd been hunting a farm for a number of years. Well, and that to me is a, is a funny story. Uh, that Will that ever happen again? Probably not. Yeah, and almost any bow hunter, any hunter would like to shoot two 140 class bucks in the same year. Yeah, but on the same farm, in a state that's more te- technically a one-buck state, but you know, with the urban zone, he gets the extra buck, and he took his dough like he should have too in the urban zone, got that qualified for. Uh, but, I mean, when he brought those two deer to me, he was pretty sure the one was big enough. He wasn't sure the other one was big enough mm-hmm. until we actually put the tape on him. And we put the tape on the smaller one first. I says, well, the good news is the small one makes it. So we, I think the other one will too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a real surprise to both of us. And it's just a funny story. Well, you know what? I want to thank you for taking time to speak with us, Tony, and talking about the, the record buck program. Um, let me th- let me throw one more thing out. Sure. When we talk about funny stories, it goes back to a buck I talked about before, and that was the, the Moffat buck with the sheds. Uh-huh. Um, I was called... And I don't rarely go read score deer, but this deer was big enough. I did needed some attention because I need, they needed some guidance on what to do with this. You know, who to call, who to not call. Uh, who's, you know, th- social media has seen it. People knocking on their doors and ringing their phone number, what they want. And so I went and read score that, that buck. Like I say, it was a 200-inch nine-pointer as a nine-point netted 180. But when I read scored it, that's when I saw the sheds were laying over on top of the piano from the year before. Mm-hmm. And I glanced at those sheds. I picked those sheds up and I put them in the bucket that was there. It was obviously the same deer. And I remember that uh, one of them there in the household says, somebody told them maybe they ought to get that buck that she, she shot insured. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's worth a little something because it's a pretty good deer. But the real story in this house isn't on the kitchen table. The real story in this house is laying on the piano. Because those sheds are giant world-class sheds. Yeah. And I said, if there's anything you need to do, it's probably lock the sheds up, get them off the piano, and maybe ensure that's, <laughs> that's, that buck. You know, it's the same buck, but maybe ensure those. Because they, you, normally a person wouldn't think of that. They would see the giant deer with the skull plate attached. And, oh, this is the one that's valuable. 
Uh, but then when you, you take a set of sheds uh, that, you know, with a possible inside sheds, those score 215 inches typical of a 10, uh, that's world class. And that, that's one of my, I will say it's a funny story as much as it is uh, an interesting story. And with, with that, that's, you know, that's all I got. <laughs> Well, well, no, that was wonderful. And, and I think that the point we want to drive home here is whether you're in the more urban, suburban areas or you're hunting in the uh, the big forest in the southern part of the state, uh, you truly are producing some world-class whitetails, probably more than ever now in Hoosier State. And, uh, you know, anybody who's listening to the podcast, if uh, you're looking for a great and, as you mentioned, still affordable uh, out-of-state hunt for, for whitetails, especially bow hunting, uh, check out Indiana and Tony, thank you so much for taking time to join us on the Bow Hunting Podcast. And good thank luck you with your good luck with the rest of your bow hunting and hunting this season. Thank you everybody for listening to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.